Draft Countdown. I'm Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. And I'm Shane P. Hallam from DraftTV.com. And we have a guest today. It's our old friend Josh Buchanan, uh, the preeminent small school guru out there. He just released his final small school rankings for the 2015 NFL Draft. Uh, his his annual draft guide is available now. Uh, and Josh, let, welcome to, back to the show. And let's start there. Why don't you let everybody know where they can get your draft guide, which is just chock full of information. It's 234 pages, if I'm correct. Um, something I didn't even count it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I stopped counting after like nine nine. I mean, after 200. So uh, yeah, no, I've released it all in bits and pieces, not all in one. Um, there is a whole Word document, but all of the information in it is on TonySoftly.com. So I encourage everybody to check that out. Uh, nobody covers the small schools like Josh does. I've been saying that for a number of years. He he follows uh, he, he follows Bethune Cookman like most people follow USC or Notre Dame or Miami. So uh, definitely check it out. And let's start. At the nobody top, follows Josh. Notre Dame anymore. What are you talking about? Uh, there, there, there's a couple out there. I think a couple <laughs> Irish fans out there. But uh, let, let's start right at the very top. I don't know about you, but really from start to finish, I've had the same small school prospect at the top of my rankings, and that's Jaquiski Tart, the safety from Samford. Uh, he's the top guy on your board as well. Talk a little bit about Jaquiski Tart. Uh, talk about his game, how his stock has maybe uh, ebbed and flowed over this draft process, and, and where you see him coming off the board. Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty much been the same it's uh people have had him i think at the floor of the fourth round ceiling in the mid to late second you know um he he's a guy that you know i mean you just look at him body type he's got the size the speed he can run or hit you um a little inconsistent at times runs out of the runs out of plays at times and um you know but i mean some of that was he was playing hurt which he's tough as nails um but uh, I actually think, you know, I know J.J. Wilcox, when he came out of Georgia Southern, same conference at the time, starts a much better player than Wilcox. I had a, uh, you know, six-round grade on Wilcox. I got a third-round grade on Tart. So I um, think Tart's, you know, going to come off the board by pick 85 at the latest, 90 at that range at the latest. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he came off somewhere in the 60, 60 to 75 range. Well, and not only is Tart my my top small school prospect, but he's actually my number three safety overall. And and this is not a great. I think it kind of drops off after certainly after Demarius Randall from Arizona State and Landon Collins from Alabama, depending if you're looking for free safety or strong safety with those two. But but Tart, I think, is in the conversation to maybe be that third safety off the board. I wouldn't be shocked if he snuck into the second round, got pushed up a little bit. But I, I think one way or the other, he's going to go somewhere on day two. So. Tarts at the top, who's your number two small school prospect, and where do you think he'll come off the board? I think the second one's going to be Allie Marfitt. Now, you hear talk that he may move into the second round. That would surprise me a little bit, but I do think he'll come off in the third or in the early fourth. Um, he was helped immensely by his senior bowl, by his combine. Um, he's a guy, I think, that needs a little work. I, honestly, I think if you draft him in the fourth round, you draft him in the perfect spot because I think he will be a starter down the line. Uh, you know, I'd hate to draft a Division two guy in the second round and then have to put him out there too early and, you know, mess up his development. I think he's a guy that needs some development, but and he's got a high ceiling and, you know, he could be a long-time starter. I just, I just like to bring him in and, you know, for a year develop him and work with him a little bit before you, before you basically put him out there and, uh, you know, on his own. But, um, yeah, I think with his athletic ability and his feet are the big thing, which is hard to find. Um, you know, he's a strong guy, he's athletic, he can move, he can pull, um, he can, you know, do everything that you want uh, from a phys- from an athletic standpoint. Um, I just I think he's going to be the second one off the board. But, you know, by, by, by a slight margin probably, I could see him and number the third guy coming off maybe 15-plus picks apart. Yeah, and I, I think he could sneak into the second round too. I think there's going to be a run on guard, so that, that wouldn't shock me. A couple of follow-up questions on Marpet. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you in two parts. Uh, first, you mentioned his his performance at the Senior Bowl and how much that helped him, and and I, I think the, the All Star game 
was more important for Ali Marpet than maybe any prospect in this draft. Coming from the Division Three level, he really needed to prove that he could play with the big boys, and I think he did that. Uh, I'm just wondering, do you think that would be fair to say? And then the second part of the question is, he played tackle in college, probably is going to play on the interior in the NFL. Have you gotten a sense from your discussions with people around the league? Do you think most view him as a guard, center? Is it 50-50? Where do you think he ends up playing in the NFL? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, I think as far as the Senior Bowl, for him, it probably was. A lot of people were surprised. A lot of people, I think, in the Northeast were particularly surprised that he got a Senior Bowl invite. A lot of people thought he would be at the NFL PA game or the Shrine game, and then a good week there would get him in the Senior Bowl. So going straight to Mobile was a surprise, and I think day one he showed that, you know, he was not used to that competition. But by, by the game, I mean, he was really good. Some people thought he was – you know, the best lineman there. Number two, I don't know anybody in the NFL, so I wouldn't ask me that one. <laughs> so um, I, don't, I don't know anybody around the league. But I'm sure if I did, I'm sure they would, They would. Uh, they, you know, I'm sure they would say guard mostly with, you know, a few people might would say center. All right, Josh, so let's move on to, to number three. Who's, who's the number three player on your board and where will they come off? David Johnson, the running back at Northern Iowa, you know, he he's one guy that you probably could put anywhere, uh, you know, third round, late second. I could see someone liking him there. I could see someone wanting him in the fifth round, you know, wanting to wait that long. Um, the You know, the thing with him, I think his running style concerns me a little bit, but, you know, one of the things he's got to fall back on is if he's not a running back, he could be a wide receiver. I mean, he, he, he's he got the build a little bit maybe of a running back at 222 pounds, but you know, at six one, I mean, he could, you know, um, he could drop down to two ten and play receiver easily. He's got four four speed. He's got natural hands. He's good in open space. Ask Iowa about that. He lit them up. So, um, you know, I just I think with his versatility, uh, even though this is a very stacked running back class, he might slide a little, you know, a little bit in terms of value. You know, you might get him a little later than where you where you're. You know, some people might have him higher than where he'll end up going, just because there's so many running backs, but. Um, you know, I would imagine somewhere in the 90 to 115, 120 range, he comes off the board. And and how how has his draft stock kind of fluctuated in, in this this off season, if you will? Is he is he a guy that's moved up with the Senior Bowl performance and the Combine, uh, putting good performances of both of those? Um, I think he's a little bit. I mean, for me, he was probably you know, sitting around fifth round, fourth, fifth round um, coming into the season. So I think he helped himself a little bit. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you're talking about a guy that I, I had in my top, I think, three or four all along. Uh, Marpet's probably the biggest riser, you know, of any of those guys. And so, uh, you know, being the guys here at the top end, um, you know, Tart and Johnson have been there all along. So, uh, I think he's helped himself in terms of his value, but in terms of where he's been on the board, he's either been two or three all along. Hey, Josh, uh, on Johnson, he was actually the running back on my overrated list, and 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 you talk about how he could sneak into the top 100. I just don't know if I would invest a top 100 pick on him, partly because I think there's depth. I think you could get just as good of a value a round or two later at that position, but I, I guess my concern with Johnson, he, he's I get the feel for him that maybe he's a little bit of a better athlete than running back. You talked about maybe he, he moves to a different position. Maybe they use him as a uh, H-back type or a wide receiver. Some people have speculated he's kind of high-cut, tall runner. That concerns me. Uh, I, I hearken back to a Daniel Thomas type. Uh, and, and there are examples. I mean, certainly Eric Dickerson, Adrian Peterson, there's been taller, upright runners who've done well in the NFL. But it seems like they're the exception more so than the norm. I'm just, I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Do you agree? disagree am I completely off base I can see where you're coming from um I've had that concern too like I say one thing you get with him if you pick him at the top of the fourth round middle of the fourth round you're not picking him so high that you have to put him on the field right away but you're also picking him high enough to where obviously you're you're taking a guy that you feel has got a lot of talent and and I do think that if he if you bring if you draft him in the fourth round there's no rush to start him obviously correct so if he doesn't pan out as a running back, you can try him at receiver. I mean, there were scouts who I'm sure, if I knew any scouts, that I'm sure they would tell you that when they saw the Iowa game, I would imagine they thought he was 
a better receiver than running back. You know, there there's games where you could watch him and I could see someone walking away telling me he's a receiver, he's not a running back. Um, you know, so I think that's the one thing he's got to fall back on. He could switch positions there. He also can help in the return game. So, you know, if if your concern, and I think it could be a little valid, if, 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 if that is a concern, you at least with him, you know, if he didn't have the return game and receiver to fall back on, I could see taking him in the fifth or sixth round. But when he's got all, you know, the fact that he can, you know, he's played just about anywhere you want him to, Offensively, you know, and you know, in terms of a skills position and on special teams, I mean, it makes it hard if you want a guy that has that who is that versatile. I'm not sure you can wait till you know, you know, I'm not sure you can wait any later than the the early early fourth round. And I, honestly, I I would imagine there's some people out there. If I did know anyone in the league, I'm sure there are some who will tell you that that would say. If he's sitting there at the top of the fourth, we're going to pounce on it because I, I would, I think there are some people that probably have him as high as the late second round. All right, Josh, let's let's move on. Who's uh, who's your number four player, and where do you think he'll come off the board? I think the fourth one is interesting because I actually don't think he's the fourth best player of the group. I think he's probably the second most talented of this whole group. But in terms of what he did, I, you know, the reason I have him ahead of a couple of the guys that he does is because simply because the other guys, there's issues. There's either what position are they going to play or there's legitimate concerns with them, although, they're, you know, I have some with, with this one too. But Trey McBride is the next one. I think he's going to be a fourth-round pick. He may sneak in the third. I'm not projecting it, but, but it could happen. Um, one thing I tell people about, and, and I had done uh, – an interview with Cecil Lamy earlier today, and he asked me about Trey McBride. I know he visited the Broncos or worked out with him is what Cecil told me. Um, you know, someone at William & Mary had told me, and, and I don't think they'd be upset with me telling them telling this, that, you know, w- when he showed up there, you know, this person was from uh, Florida State, and, and they told me that best way to describe Trey McBride is we have no clue how he's here because he's a Florida State recruit playing at William and Mary, which which is a big statement. When someone who recruited was in the recruiting department at Florida State is telling you this guy should have been a recruit the Seminoles, not for the tribe. It tells you, you know, not for the William and Mary tribe, it tells you just how talented people think he is. Hey Josh, I know last time we talked to you that you weren't quite as high on McBride as some. Have you have you come around, or what's changed your mind, or you still think he's overrated and is going to come off the board earlier than he should? Um, I, I'm just interested because I know last time we talked that, that you weren't necessarily his uh, his his biggest cheerleader. So I'm just interested. Is your opinion involved, or uh, maybe just talk a little bit about that? Um. I think he's going to come off in the fourth. I wouldn't take him in the fourth. Me personally, I would take him more in the sixth. But mainly for the fact here's here's where I'm coming in and and I like McBride. I met him, I shook his hand during the fall. I think he's a nice kid. His you know, his coaches that I talked to thought he was a great player. There's you know, nothing with that. It's just, you know, he's a special teams player of the year as a junior. He tapers off greatly as a senior. As a senior he flashes. I mean he makes some tremendous catches which you can't deny, which I think that's where where I would imagine that there's people who have him in the third round. That's why they have him that high, because he's fast and because he makes great catches. But he's a guy that gets shut out of games a good bit, too. I've seen people take him out of ball games. So I just I kind of think, you know, when you look at a guy like him, he's been good his whole career at William & Mary. You know, I think that someone's – I think that, that that's too high. Let me say that. I, I would take him again fifth, sixth. But I think someone's going to take him because of the athletic ability, the fact that he does have very good hands. He ran extremely well. He's highly athletic, explosive. His testing at the combine was very good. You know, and, and, you know, we all know that when you go to the combine and you light it up, you know, someone is going to draft you higher than what most people typically would want to because, that you know, that's when coaches get involved, and coaches see you in workout shorts and fall in love. And I think, I think partly, part of me thinks that's what happened with McBride. I think these coaches have seen him and just said, "Man, there's so much to work with here. His stats at William and Mary are nowhere near what you know. We could, we could get more out of him than they did, you know." And so I kind of, I think that's what's happening with him, and that's that's why I think he, you know, is probably more of a guy that, based on his resume you know, on the field is more of a sixth round, fifth round guy, someone might take him, you know, as early as 
you know, 95 to 125 range. Hey, Josh, your your fifth guy is Davis Tull from Chattanooga, and I'm not I'm not exactly sure, but he's got to be among the most productive pass rushers in this class. 60 career tackles for a loss and 37 career sacks. Uh, I mean, just his past few years alone, 19 tackles for a loss, 12 and a half sacks. 15 tackles for a loss, nine sacks. This past year as a senior, 18 tackles for a loss, ten and a half sacks. And then on top of that, he worked out like a madman. Uh, really opened some eyes with his workout numbers. He came in at six two and three ace, two forty six. He ran a four five seven. Um, Davis Tull, he hasn't been getting as much attention as some other small school pass rushers in this class who we'll talk about later, namely Zach Hodges from Harvard. But uh, it's looking more and more like Tull could maybe be the, the, the top small school pass rusher off the board, maybe in the middle rounds. Talk a little bit about Davis Tull. Yeah, I think it's either going to be him or Kyle Emanuel. I have them both rated pretty closely. Um, Toll, just two things quick on him. One, he had a hamstring injury at his pro day, which is, is interesting because he still he ran a four five seven with that. But, you know, small school players get an injury and, and, and sometimes they slide, which is why I think he might go towards the end of the fourth. Um, although, you know, you never know. Someone may take him in the, in the end of the third round. I mean, that wouldn't blow me away. Um, but, you know, he's, he's the type of guy that maybe goes, you know, mid-fourth, late-fourth, depending on. Um, but, you know, very good athlete. I think the big thing for him, just, you know, one, I, my concern with him is he doesn't have great length. He was a defensive end. I think he's going to need to be an outside backer. But he can he can drop in space. He's got a great motor, and he's extremely fast and explosive. Those are all things that work in your favor if you are going to transition to outside linebacker. And he's certainly one of the elite ones at that. I mean, you could compare him, his test numbers, to just about any of the big school guys, and he would match up very well. In fact, he beat most of them. So um, the upside is there. And like you said, there's very few that are more productive. And I think a lot of that's his motor. I mean, he's a guy who plays hard even when it's backside. You know, he he comes from from the backside all the time and makes plays and hustles and doesn't give up. All right, Josh, who's your your sixth-ranked player, someone that's moved up and top of their position? Tell us who that is and where you think he'll come off the board. Yeah, I think that the the pro days and the combine kind of flipped side ends. It was Nick Boyle. I think Michael Pruitt probably goes here. But the interesting thing, though, is I have a 4-5 or five round projection on him because it's all going to depend on who likes him the most and who – and what position they like him, meaning some people are going to probably like him as a fullback. And if so, I would imagine he's going to be sitting sixth, seventh round. Those that like him as a tight end are going to like him probably in the fourth round or early fifth round. Um, I don't think he can be a fullback. Let me say that. I think he's going to have to be a tight end. The issue with him at tight end, though, is he's 6'2". He's a tweener. So I think Pruitt's the type of guy who could turn out to have a very nice NFL career or he could, because he's a 20-year and because he doesn't have, you know, the great size you're looking for, he might fizzle out. Um, But as far as athletic ability, great hands, he's fast, he's, you know, the best tester of any tight end at the combine. Um, I just, I think with that upside that he's got athletically and the fact you can use him in a lot of ways, he can be an H-back, tight end, slot receiver even, um, I think someone's going to take him in the fourth or early early fifth round. I mean, did you think he's a player that if if he goes to a team with that uh, uses some creativity you know, with how they use their tight ends, uh, like New Orleans Saints and uh, someone like that, do you think that would benefit him? You think um, no matter where he goes, it's going to take some time to kind of get him up to to the strength to to play in line and to do everything you need a tight end to do. Yeah, I mean, you know. He's one of those guys, I, I, like I said, I think he will be a tight end. I think um, one, of, one of the things about him is is he's got to get stronger. There's no question, which is why I don't think he's a fullback. That's the main reason why I, I still say that no to fullback, because he is extremely fast and can play in the slot. I think he's still going to have to get stronger. It wouldn't surprise me if someone played him in the slot, like, as, like the Saints did with Jimmy Graham, if that's exactly what you, someone does with Pruitt because then the strength wouldn't be as big of an issue. And he's really kind of a mismatch because at 6'2 and change 255, you know, that's what he weighed at his pro day, 
I mean, if he's you know if he's out there running four fives, which he does, he runs four legit four fives on handhelds. You know, you're talking about a guy that's you know that, that's a huge mismatch in the slot. And um, as far as size, these smaller nickel corners are not are not going to have a whole lot of success. You you wouldn't think against a guy that big. So yeah, I do. I mean, I, I think the strength is an issue, which is why he might be a slot player to begin with. You know, why and, and then slowly develop him into a tight end. You know, into a you know, in line tight end, a guy, you know, you know, putting his hand in the dirt. Well, well let's go to your your next guy on the board, number seven, another very productive player. Yeah, tell us who it is and where you think he'll go. Uh, Kyle Emanuel, North Dakota State, might go in the mid to late fourth, but I, I put fifth round projection on him. Um, just high motor guy, a lot like tall. Uh, not quite as fast as Tull. He's a step and a half, you know, step or so slower, but um, high motor, uh, similar in size. He's a little, little bit bigger, a little heavier than Tull. But um, he, you know, one thing he's got on Tull too is, uh, uh, you know, you know, well, one thing that you know talked about with Tull, that he didn't have great length. Well, neither does Emmanuel. Um, but you know, he, he's a very tough player. I think he's a guy that could either be a linebacker or defensive end. And and this is where I kind of think, in the eyes of teams, too, wouldn't surprise me if this is where the drop-off is at the small school level. you got your top three that are probably, you know, top four, really. Then you got Toll, and I think Pruitt's sitting there in the fourth or early fifth. I, I mean, for, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Emmanuel even slid a little bit. Um, you know, I think he's a really good pass rusher. He uses his hands well. He's got a great motor, highly productive. But, again, you worry there's not great length. He's not an elite athlete. I think he's a backup or a role player only. Um, you know, not not a ton of upside there. Um, but, you know, he's just one of those, I think, lunch pill guys. He's a guy that shows up, a guy that probably wasn't appreciated by scouts as a junior, but the, the insane production as a senior, you know, I think woke people up and is what got him at the combine. But, um, you know, one thing you're getting with him is he's going to show up every week. He's going to play hard, and um, you know he uses his hands well. He he knows how to get to the quarterback. There's no question. Nineteen and a half sacks as a senior, you know, and um, you know he was a big, big key for why they won the national championship the last four years. I mean, he was a key, key player for at least the last two. He was, you know, he a lot of people would tell you he was their best defensive player. Well, where do you think his best fit is? Um, and I know you mentioned the defensive end linebacker. Uh, he, t- he took a private workout with a 3-4 team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you think it would be best as kind of a backup 3-4 outside linebacker? Uh, would, would you prefer to have him with his hand down in a 4-3 or, or maybe even as a Sam linebacker in, in uh, some 4-3 schemes? I, you know, he's very strong. He's very strong. He did 27 reps at the combine. I think he'd be a good Sam linebacker. Um, you know, I, one thing too, a lot of people said, you know, six three, two hundred fifty four pounds. I mean, that that could be an inside linebacker too. Um, you know, he, you know, and and he's shown that he can stand up. So I think that some teams out there probably actually have him as an inside backer. I would probably lean more towards what I would want to do defensively as a, as a Sam. Um, but uh, but uh, you know I, you know he's one of those guys. It depends on depends on what you want him for, and depends on you know his skill set, which you think he does in your scheme. Because I think one team may have him in the fourth round as a as an inside backer. One may have him in the fourth as an outside as a stand backer. One may have him in the fifth as a defensive end. You know, I mean, he's he again. He's like tall. He's one of those guys that you could. You could tinker around with him at a lot of spots, and it wouldn't surprise me if he did find a home an inside linebacker because he is a good tackler. He's strong, you know. He's going to give the effort, and I think he would probably could bulk up another five, ten pounds, and you know, if, if you wanted him to. So, um, but but you know, as far as what you're saying, what I would do, I'd probably put him as a Sam. But um, like I say, I haven't heard anyone say inside, but you look at him, and he probably, you know, when you're that strong and that big, that that's something that, you know, I could see someone. Uh, you know, depending on their sit, their scheme, someone wanting to do with him. Hey, Josh, the next guy in your rankings checking in at number eight is, is a guy we debated a little bit at, at one point in the fall, and it's Nick Boyle, the tight end from Delaware. And, and it's not that I don't like him. I, I think he's a really good football player. Uh, I, I just don't know that he's what you're looking for in a starting, te- 
starting tight end at the NFL level these days, and which is why I'd maybe be a little reluctant to take him in the fourth or fifth round, which is where I think he's going to go. I kind of compare it to the situation last year with Crockett Gilmore, who I think the Ravens reached for at the back end of the top 100. And like I say, don't get me wrong, uh, Boyle's a very good all-around player, really good blocker to the point where I've heard some speculate about him maybe even being an offensive lineman uh, being converted. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but that just puts in perspective the, what a good blocker he is. And, and effective pass catcher in that short to intermediate range, had a good week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, but, but convince me why Nick Boyle could be a starting tight end at the NFL, if, if you think he can. I actually, it's funny, he's the best player at a position in this entire draft, and no one even talks about it. He's the best long snapper in this draft, and nobody talks about it. Part of the reason is because he didn't really long snap a lot on film. To know that, you'd have to go into school. You would have to, you know, go in there and see him, you know. You have to go see him live. I mean, you have to go to a game, see him pregame, you know, see him him at practice, um, which is what I did. He's a great long snapper. So I actually think one of the things you get with him is he can bring that facet. He's also a very he's a guy you can line up in the slot, have him, you know, as a blocker for screens. He's great on screens in that regard. Um and then in goal line, you can put him he's got pretty good hands. You could use him in goal line um as a blocker or as a or as a pass catcher. He's a big body, he's tough to guard. So I think he gives you that. I don't think he's a number one. I don't think he's a Julius Thomas or an Antonio Gates or anything. But I think he could be a really good number two who potentially is your starting long snapper and is a guy that you use religiously in the goal line. And, and, you know, when you're running screens, I mean, shoot, there are times where you see him out there in wide open space playing the slot just demolishing people. So um, I think with him, at least he's versatile. He can do a lot of different things. He just doesn't have the elite speed you're looking for. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, light you up like Antonio Gates or Jimmy Graham or Julius Thomas are going to do. No, he's not that guy. He's too slow for that. But I think, you know, if you need a blocker, which is draft is not very very heavy on blockers, if you need a blocker, he can, he can be a long snapper for you. He's the best long snapper in this draft, um, you know, you know, you know, when you have all of that, I, you know, it, it's hard to let that go past the fifth round because, you know, you look at him and say, well, if he can't do it, say he gets dramatically slower the next two years and he can't be a tight end even, well, you know what, you, you got a long snapper and, you know, long snappers tend to stick for, you know, 12, 15, 20 years and, you know, you know everybody – says, well, why would you want to even, you know, draft a guy thinking he could be a long snapper? Well, you put out a sucky long snapper a couple weeks, and you tell me how valuable they are. You know, you need a good long snapper. So I think at least with him, he'd be like that. You could could fall back on that. Well, and and Nick Boyle didn't run particularly well in the pre-draft process. He ran right around that five-flat mark. And But honestly, while not a good time, that doesn't really that didn't change my opinion or evaluation of him one bit. That's kind of what I thought. I didn't expect him to uh, to be running, like you say, like a Julius Thomas type of player. That's just not what he is. So uh, I think a lot of people, probably after, especially after he had some buzz coming off the Senior Bowl, they, they probably cooled a little bit when they saw he ran so poorly. But, but in his case, I don't know that that's going to be a big factor because I think anybody who watched Nick Boyle probably – expected that. No, it wasn't as big a deal. If he'd have run like four four eight oh, I think it really would have helped him and might have put him in the third round because people would have said, Wow, you're two sixty eight and can run that fast. So I think, you know, with him, if anything, it just kinda of kept the stock where it was, fifth, maybe early sixth round as opposed to, you know, a guy that might might move up and get overdrafted. I, I think he's gonna end up in the fifth, which a lot of people feel like I would imagine that that's, you know, fair value for him, especially when like I said, and he's a really good long snapper. I mean, you don't hear anyone talk about it, but you ask anyone who's been to see him play, and they'll tell you he's, you know, the only reason when I did my FCS All-America team that I didn't make him the first-team All-American long snappers because he didn't even do it in games. But, in, you know, in all fairness, he was better than anyone anyone else in the country at it. So, I mean, at least he gives you that facet. And he's a heck of a player in the goal line. You use him in the red zone. You know, he's a guy you can put the goal line package in there and he'll move people off the line. And, you know, he's a guy, too, that, you know, you could have him, 
hit a man, block him for a second, which he can, you know, very good blocker, get off the block and, and go out for a catch. I mean, you know, he does have good hands. So, um, and, and you know, he's one of those guys, too, that while he doesn't have great speed, you know, you can line him up in the slot, and which may be a tell because I, I would only line him up out there for screens. But, man, you get him out in open space and he kills linebackers and safeties, um, which, is, uh, you know, is something that's, you know, hard for receivers to do. Most receivers aren't great blockers, you know, that you can count on to do that. Um, so he at least gives you that dimension. But yeah, I agree with you. I think he, I do think he's a number two tight end, but I think he'd be a pretty good one. I think he'll play for a while, you know, for a long time in the NFL. Speaking of wide receivers, the next guy on your list is a wideout. It's Desmond Lewis from Central Arkansas. Talk a little bit about what he brings to the table and where you anticipate he'll come off the board. Yeah, I think he's probably in the fifth or sixth round. Um, he might go in the fourth. That's that's a possibility. I think his high is the fourth. His low range is the early to mid sixth. So I put a, four, a fifth round projection on him. He's big. He can run. He doesn't look fast, but he's a long strider. Um, you know, he's got pretty good hands. Uh, um, you know, he's a guy that uh, can get open. He's very good possession guy. Great, great in the red zone. Um, very good. You know, throw, throw the ball up in the air and he'll go get it. Um, he just looks the part, you know, he's six four, two fourteen. Um, he's got big hands, he's got roughly ten inch hands. Um, so you know, he's a guy that uh, you know, you just throw the ball up in the air and he'll go get it. Well, and then you get there's one more spot left in your top ten and you gave it to Dean Marlowe, safety out of James Madison. And not only talk about him, but but what gave him the edge? What what was the factor that he got that last coveted spot in the top ten? Because I'm sure anytime you're doing rankings, anytime you hit a milestone spot like that, maybe you put a little extra thought into that. So was that the case? And was there one factor maybe that put him over the top and gave him the edge? You know, honestly, everybody after him – I think, has a huge, huge flaw, something that they, you know, with exception of maybe one other guy, but his was an injury is kind of why, you know, but everybody else has something really wrong with them, something that, you know, a huge concern, something that they either didn't do or, you know, didn't do very well or or injury or character or whatever. Um, You know, he's clean off the field. He's got good length, good size. He can run extremely well. He can cover the slot, although he's not great in man-to-man coverage. He's a good center fielder. He'll hit you. He'll he'll come down, make plays in the box. I think, um, you know, he's a thinner version of Tart in a lot of ways. You know, um, James Madison, the way they played him this year, was not the ideal for what scouts wanted to see, I don't think. But, uh, you know, he can do what you're looking for in a free safety you know, James Madison did what they needed him to do for them. Um, you know, he did it well. He did it well. They didn't ask him to do a lot of things, again, that, that you like to see him do. But that's not their job. Their job's not to appease, appease NFL teams in that regard. And teams know that, I would, I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and we all know that. So, you know, he, he, he does what he's asked. He's a good player. He's durable. Um, he's smart. Uh, you know, you talked to his old head coach, Mickey Matthews. He raved about him, and Mickey would take him in the third round. Of course, I think Mickey would draft half of his players if he could. He was an NFL head coach. He'd be, he would make Chip Kelly in Oregon look look like nothing. I mean, he, he would take ten of his guys every year, probably. But I know that he was extremely, extremely high on Marlowe and his new coaches too. I mean, you know, the, the coaching staff there loves him. Uh, you won't hear really any bad words said about him. So I just think with his athletic ability upside, he's got, you know, ideal physical tools for safety. You know, I think, you know, you bring him in and he's a very good role player. Um, you know, he'd be a good backup and special teamer early on and, and a guy you maybe develop into a starter two or three years down the road. So that's the end of your top ten, uh, and, and we're not going to go through every single name. Your rankings, you actually did just small school, a top eight 50 overall, which is just insane. You did a, a full seven-round mock draft with just small school prospects, which is uh, one of the most amazing drafting feats I think I've ever seen. That's the thing that first put you on my radar. Uh, I was like, who is this crazy person who's doing a seven-round mock draft with just small school players? So, so now we're going to jump around a little bit, though. But the first question I want to ask you, 
outside of your top 10, and I'm not necessarily talking about the highest rated player, but, but who gets you excited? Is there a player outside of your top 10 that, that you're just a fan of? You really like this guy. If you were at the team, you'd be banging your hand on the table. Who kind of gets your juices flowing outside of that top 10? There, there's actually three, if you don't mind me saying. There's three for, for separate reasons. Um, there's three guys that I, I would pound the table on if I was a scout in the late rounds. I, I would I – would, I mean, I'm talking – I would beg to get these guys. Um, the first one is Jacob Hagen from Liberty. He's six two and a half, two oh five. He's not blazing fast. He's going to run low four sixes, which is why I think he would probably be a seventh round pick instead of a fifth or sixth rounder, like maybe Marlowe would be. Um, Hagen has extremely good ball skills, great range. He's tough. He'll he'll hit you. Um, he's very productive in the secondary. He's a ball hawk. He's a guy that's going to break passes up, and he's going to pick them off. And, and you know, when you can create turnovers like he does, that that's a coveted thing. So you get a guy with size that can create turnovers like that, I'm all about that. He had um, five forced fumble. I mean, four forced fumbles and one fumble recovery as a senior, not to mention the fact that he had, uh, I think, what, eight picks as a senior and seven pass breakups. So he is a turnover waiting to happen. So, one, I would take that. He can play special teams, and you know he'll create turnovers. The other one would be Nick Easton at Harvard, center guard guy. He's extremely smart, more athletic than people think. I love a guy like this because when we took him to the PA game, most teams I don't even think had him written up. He was a way-under-the-radar type of guy. And I think he was the type of guy that, you know, I think that, you know, most people kind of, you know, you look at his body type and he doesn't look great physically, but you bring him in, he gets the job done. He doesn't miss blocks. He's smart. Like I say, he's athletic and versatile. You know, coming from Harvard, he could play anywhere you need him to. Um, so I would go for him. He, he's very, you know, very good player. I think he's an underrated player. Um, and, and, then, and his agent, you know, I believe, uh, I believe his agent is Joe Linta, who has a knack for under for uncovering those underrated gems, correct? It, it, it is, and it was funny because someone had told me during the fall that Linta was recruiting him big time, and they, you know, and and they said that like Linta apparently when he got the PA bowl invite, you know, Linta was like, oh, so Josh likes him too. He was like, he kind of knew, you know, it's kind of like. So when I heard that he was recruiting him heavily, I said, you know, for what you just said, you know that certain agents know talent. They know how to, un, you know, find these, you know, under-the-radar guys. So then when we go after Easton and, you know, Easton is sitting there and you hear that a guy like Lentz is wanting him, you know, that kind of says, oh, okay, well, I'm not the only one out there who thinks that. I think Lentz kind of thought the same thing when he found out we wanted him. He, he I think – I, I believe Linton thought this guy was not going to get any all-star game invites and be a guy that was probably, you know, going to go way under the radar type thing. Come to find out, you know, we bring him in. He did he did a great job in L.A. I mean, Easton was the best center we had. Uh, you could argue that he's the fourth best center in this draft, um, you know, and only five or six a year get drafted. But he's a guy that whether he's drafted or not, I would love to get him. I think he'd be a really good one. Um, and I'll give you one more. Cause I know you said one, but but it's it's hard to pick one because you always have those guys in the late rounds that you like. Um, I tell you another guy that I think people have probably not talked a lot about and probably had, you know, you know maybe had you know for whatever reason went under the radar. But you know I just keep looking. I think you get in that seventh round range, and and man, if you could get a guy. With Deion Simons upside, his nose tackle from Northwestern State. I just yep. think you know he's a big body. He can run. He's athletic. Uh, you know the motor was a question at times, but you know what? As a nose tackle, no one can move him. He's an impenetrable force. So I think he'd be a guy that if I could get him in a sixth or seventh round, you know, I mean, just a big strong guy like that who can keep his weight under control. Um, and a guy who, you know, showed an improved motor as a senior before he got hurt. You know, you look at him and say that if he wasn't hurt, he might, you know, be a guy people would talk about in the fourth or fifth round. Um, you know, if you're sitting there in the seventh round, I would jump on a guy like that if I ran a 3-4 scheme because, like I said, he's extremely strong. You can't move him. He's athletic. He can run. He can bend. He's not stiff at all. So, you know, he would be a, you know, the type of guy that I would pound the table for. 
hey, Josh, uh, you talked about Harvard center Nick Easton, but that's not the the crimson prospect that most people know. Uh, Zach Hodges, of course, at one point was being buzzed about as maybe the top small school prospect, maybe a top 100 pick. I never, I know you were never uh, in that camp, and, and you've all along thought he was going to be more of a late-round pick. Uh, talk a little bit uh, about Zach Hodges and and. Give us both sides of the coin. Give give us the positives, and then give us the reasons why maybe people should be leery and, and maybe feel he was a little overrated based on the buzz he got during the season and before the season. Um, I'm I'm trying to figure out what, what buzz because everybody I talked to had him late rounds of Florida free agent. You talking about the media, right? In draft? Oh, all in draft next. <laughs> yeah, sure. You, I'm giving you a hard time. No, uh, yeah, I mean, and there are some good things to like about Hodges. One thing Hodges has got good length on. He's quick off the edge. He's fast. You know, he's a good pass rusher. He um, he was a guy that he would never take over a game, but you see a few plays in a game where, you know, he would take over a play or take over a series, so to speak, you know, that he would be a guy that, that, that would make some game-changing plays for you. Um, the big thing with him, though, uh, especially as a senior, you go back and look, uh, you know, he was a guy coming off of a, a year in which you know, a lot of people said, well, he was the what, defensive player of the year over um, over Mike Catapano the year before. He had six and a half sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss. Well, his production dips as a senior. He drops from 11 and a half tackles for loss, six and a half sacks. He had eight and a half as a senior. But he only had nine and a half tackles for loss. He was in on a lot less tackles. He only had 26 and just six quarterback hurries, one less than he had as a junior. He also wasn't as big on turnovers. His junior year, he had four forced fumbles uh, and three fumble recoveries. Senior year, he had just one forced fumble. He was a guy that people paid a little more attention to. And to me, if you're a third-round pick, fourth-round, second-round pick at a small school level, I don't care what you did as a junior or sophomore. You better come out as a senior, and you better up the ante. You better play even better than you did, regardless if you're getting double-teamed. He didn't. When people showed him attention, he struggled a little bit. Um you know, the, the the thing with him, too, is he flashed. You love him in one game. The next game he does nothing. Um, uh, he is a guy who struggles against the run. He's not extremely uh, strong. He has been hurt a lot in this, in this draft process. Um, you have concerns with, you know, some of the non-football things with him on top of the fact that he doesn't play the run very well. And, then, you know, like I said, he's not real strong. I just – I think with him, he's more of a pass rusher only. He's more of a one-down guy, more of a, you know, third-down type of guy. And there's a lot of those in this draft. I'm just not sure I'm taking a guy like him in the top 100 or even the top 150 when there's so many other ones like Tull and Emmanuel that can play the run and the pass. This guy to me is a pass pass rush guy only. He's a, he's you know he's going to play the pass only, and you know, you know he was just too inconsistent. I mean, for a guy that had a lot of, a lot of height, you know, you wonder it's it's like, well, where was the production? Because there are games when you could watch him and he only have one tackle, you know. And and I'm not talking about the stat sheet. I'm talking about you watch him and you chart because you know I, I sit there and I chart because the, the stats sometimes can. Sometimes are misleading. Some schools will give a guy a player just for being in the vicinity of the play, which, which is why you can't just go by what the stats say. You got to watch it and chart it yourself. But there's times he don't have a tackle or, or you know, one and a half tackles or half a sack or something. You know, you just, you just, you just didn't see him take over games often. But like I said before, he had two or three. You know, he had a couple games this year where he did. I mean, he had two or three games where. You know, he he looked like an All-American. You know, and you just wonder where is that at. But, you know, he's playing in the Ivy League, and most of those guys are very very low-level, you know, players, especially athletic-wise. You know, they might be good football players, but they're not great athletes. And I think a lot of people think he's, you know, just a very good athlete with great length that, you know, is just a nightmare athletically for people in the Ivy League, and that's where his production came from. Because, you know, to be honest, as far as technique and – you know, playing, you know, you know, helmet on helmet and using his hands and all that, that, that was not something he was particularly great at. Well, well, Josh, not to, uh, not, not to keep harping on guys, but uh, I, I reading your draft guide, I think one of the, the most interesting pieces was some of the other overrated small school players that you had. You included Hodges on that. Is there another guy or two uh, that, that that draft Knicks and the media have kind of pumped up that uh, people should be leery of that, that 
everyone's saying will get drafted that you know think will get drafted or will fall later um, that are a little bit overrated. Yeah, oh yeah, there's several of those. I mean, you start, you know, this these last two weeks I've started looking around and um I think you're know, Trey Walker, the D B at Texas Southern, um, he'll hit you and he can tackle, but and he's got length and he runs four fives, but there's character concerns on him. He doesn't play hard very often. He gives up a lot of passes, gets beat deep a lot. I watched him against Southern, and I saw him give up like three or four big plays. Um, you know, when I say big plays, three or four passes on him in man coverage. Um, you know, he was a guy that looked okay. You know, he played in a real low-level all-star game. He didn't stand out on that tape either. Um, you know, I just I think people are looking at him and saying, well, he's 6'2 from Miami, and He's got length and he can run a little bit, but you got to be more than that. I just I have him as a free agent, I, whether drafted or not. I don't think he's going to have a very long career. Um, there's a lot of teams that I would imagine have taken him off their board completely because of off the field concerns. Uh, another player I think is is uh, uh, Bonner, the quarterback at Pueblo. You know he won a lot, but you look at the players they've had either at the combine or drafted or get a shot in the league, plus all the All Americans. You know, he, I think he had five or six All Americans on offense with him this past year. Uh, he had a loaded roster. He had a two-time Gene Upshaw Award winner. You know, I look at him as he was probably the Trent Dilfer of Division Two, playing with a stacked roster and won a championship because he had a defense that was outstanding and he had a really good tool. You know, really good offensive tool, especially a good offensive line. Um, he's not very mobile. He's inaccurate. Fifty-six uh, percent completion percentage um, in the final two games of the playoffs. He only completed one touchdown, and it was on a trick play. Uh, West Georgia had their way with him. So did Mankato. They got to him a good bit. Um, you know, just struggles evading the rush, and you have to have feet in the NFL, and that's something that he, he lacks. Um, and then one more, I would say, you know, outside of Hodges. Um, uh, I think that that a lot of people maybe have uh, uh, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M Commerce, Charlie Tua, a little too high. Tua is a guy that never really had, I don't think, high draft stock with NFL teams. Um, that was all media driven. He, you know, he was never considered a draftable player, in my opinion. I always had him as a as a priority free agent or a free agent. He had a worse year as a senior, so he was another guy that you see, I think, in some mock drafts and. I would be floored if he got drafted. And if he is drafted, he I don't think he'll last very long. I think he's a practice squad player at best. And let me ask you about a, a pair of teammates that, that I find pretty intriguing and, and, and got to watch a little bit more of is the, the, the West Texas A&M duo, Vernon Johnson and Ricky Collins. Texas A&M Commerce, excuse me, Vernon Johnson and Ricky Collins. And at one point, Vernon Johnson was the, the top wide receiver on your board out of Texas A&M Commerce. Um, he's kind of fallen a little bit, and I know Ricky Collins has taken some workouts. How, how do you how do you kind of gauge uh, those two as teammates and potential guys to either be drafted or maybe get picked up in free agency, and do you think they can make it in the NFL? I actually like uh, Vernon. Um, he had, I think he scored a, a 18 or so in the Wonder League, which is pretty good. He's a smart kid. Um, he's a developmental guy. Uh, one of the things that kind of tempered his stock was he um, ran like mid mid four fives at his pro day, which hurt because a lot of people I think were looking for four fours, um, so that hurt him some. Uh, but he's you know, he's a big play guy. He's dynamic. You know, you watch the first play I think against uh, West Texas A and M this year, and he takes it I think sixty yards for a touchdown. You know, first play I watched of him. You know, he's that type of player. He take a take a short pass and turn it into a big gain or just beat people on go routes. Um, he plays much faster than he runs in the 40s, so you kind of look at that and say, hey, he's, he's a 4-4 guy. He just doesn't time as fast. Um, but, uh, you, know, good, you know, good at getting open. Like I say, dynamic, big play guy, very consistent. Um, I think he's a little faster than Ricky Collins. Collins has very good hands and a good route runner. Um, but they're very close. I mean, it depends on what you like. As to who you you know as to which one you rate higher, I have Vernon just slightly ahead of him, but um, they're both really good players. And in all honesty, just the fact that Vernon didn't light up his pro day like like I think a lot of people expected was why he slid a little bit. To me, if you get him undrafted, you're getting a value. I mean, I still think he's a sixth or seventh round value on the field. Um, but you know, when he's a guy that that kind of 
come into years considered a draftable guy and he doesn't get a combine invite and he doesn't run well at the pro day and then at the NFLPA game, he was just a guy. He didn't really stand out there, um, which to me you don't kill a guy because of that. But I think all of those reasons are going to you know, be why he, he, he more than likely goes undrafted. But I do think he'll be a, a steal as an undrafted player, which I think Ricky Collins would be too if he goes undrafted. Um, uh, you know, I like Ricky, and he may go in the seventh round. But um, you know, if those two guys, either one of them is um, undrafted, they're going to be a steal. And if someone does draft him, it wouldn't surprise me, though, because, like I say, they're both really good players. Hey, Josh, we can't go a whole show without talking about the quarterback position. And and just as a whole, the 2015 NFL draft doesn't feature a lot of depth at quarterback. Uh, On average, there's been about a dozen drafted per year over the last decade. I only gave seven draftable grades this year, uh, and only one that I'd be willing to maybe invest a draft pick on in the late rounds, which is a small schooler, Brian Bennett from southeastern Louisiana. Of course, everybody knows he was the transfer from Oregon. Um, kind of opened some eyes at the Senior Bowl. And, and normally, I would probably have Bennett as a priority free agent. But when I was looking at the late-round quarterback options, he was probably the one guy that I could maybe get a little excited about to invest a late-round pick on as a developmental mm-hmm. guy. Um, I, I know you're not a huge fan of his either, but but once again, let's do both sides of the coin. Give, give us the case for Brian Bennett and give us the case against him. And, and do you think he's going to be drafted? Because I think somebody pulls the trigger late. Um, he's athletic and he's got a big arm. But here's the problem, and, and you hear some of these, when you, you know, I would urge people when shows like uh, Finding Giants come on, it was replayed the other day, you got caught in the draft. I know you like that one. You watch these shows about these former quarterbacks and the ones that struggle in the NFL, and you hear people say, well, he's not that accurate, but we can get him there. When you're not accurate and you turn the ball over, you don't last in the NFL. Unless you've got the the big-time arm and for every pick you throw, you can throw three touchdowns. Um, unless you're that type of guy. But you look at Bennett, you know, he, ball, ball security issues was a big issue with him fumbling the ball. He would um, – uh, he would uh, he would you know fumble uh, you know when under pressure did, did, didn't protect the ball well he'd throw into uh, into traffic a good bit you'd see that that was another one and you know the completion percentage was under fifty you know you talk about Bonner at fifty six I mean this guy couldn't even complete fifty percent of his passes so I think there's a lot to work with in terms of athletically physically he's got but. In terms of a, of a quarterback, I mean, you know, he's not an extremely dominant player. I know he got player of the year in the Southland, but, you know, you look at his stats and, and they're they're not even that, you know. Like I say, they're just very average looking for, for you know, a, a, a supposed draft pick. It's just, you know, uh, his numbers to me and the type of player he is, he's a lot like Spurgeon Wynn. Had a lot of talent, you know, a lot of upside, but – you know, not not a big time touchdown maker. You know, he, his best best thing he did as a as an offensive player was rush. You know, you know uh, touchdown runs. Outside of that, I, I just you know I, I think that he'll go in the late rounds. But for the same reason you said, a lot of it's because this isn't a very good quarterback class. One player that we haven't talked about yet that I wanted to touch on, just because I'm intrigued by him, if nothing else, and it's Lyndon Trail, the defensive end, maybe outside linebacker, probably a defensive end out of Norfolk State. And I mean, just physically. Now, he's not Jason Pierre-Paul, but he kind of physically looks like Jason Pierre-Paul. He's 6'6 270 pounds. He's a pretty good athlete. He moves well. I'm just really intrigued by Lyndon Trail. I think he's a day – I would definitely invest a day three pick on him. Maybe – I'd maybe even consider – the back end of the middle rounds, to be honest. Actually, he's my first late-round defensive end in my final rankings. But talk a little bit uh, about Lyndon Trail because, boy, I mean, that's a that's a pretty impressive physical specimen, if nothing else. Yeah, no, he's got great length. He's got the length of a condor. He's tall. Um, you know, he's a big body. He could, fill, he could fill out that frame, I think, too, and, and probably gain another 10 or 15 pounds. But, um you know, he's a guy that they used in a lot of ways at Norfolk. They had him as a, had him covering, had him covering the slot, had him put his hand in the dirt and rush the passer, had him stand up as an outside backer and rush the passer, um, had him kind of, you know, even drop back, had, had him do the zone blitz. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that I think any scheme would look at him and say, well, we can make him fit here. 
he's not twitchy, he's not overly fast, he's stiff, and, you know, you, you're not a four-star recruit going to Florida and transfer to Norfolk State because everything's rosy and you're the ideal student and you didn't get into trouble and didn't fail drug tests or didn't do, you know, something. There's concerns off the field with him, which there are going to be. Like I said, players don't just leave the University of Florida to go to Norfolk State. If you've ever, and no offense to Norfolk, but go to go to Norfolk, not even the school, just go to Norfolk and you'll see what I'm talking about. You don't leave Florida <laughs> to go up there. Um, I love Virginia. It's no offense. It's just it's just kids that are attracted to Florida are not. It's it's not Gainesville is nowhere. It's nothing like there. So you know that you know things went wrong with him. Um, like I said, I think he's a good player. I just I view him more as a late round guy. I think some of the off field concerns, the fact that he ran real slowly, um, hurts him. One of the things though that you can fight for him is that you could try him at tight end. Um, that's something that he can do. Plus, like I said, the fact he can fit in a three-four or a four-three, um, you feel like that um, that you know if uh, if you want to switch schemes, he's not a guy that you have to totally chunk and throw away. I think he's a backup only. But I mean, he at least physically has the upside to start. And, and you know, if you decide if you're running the three-four this year and you decide to run a four-three, you could still keep him around because you you can you can do a lot of movement with him. All right, last question, and I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. Uh, Nick, give me one player that we haven't talked about yet that you think is unlikely to be drafted, that if you had to bet your life savings on him becoming a Pro Bowl player in the NFL, who would it be and why? Just one. If I had to bet on a guy, um, hmm, Good question. Now that I don't think he'll be drafted, so I have to think of a guy. Um, you know, typically a lot of those type of guys turn out to be your safeties, your fullbacks, those type of guys that are not the highly coveted positions. You're every once in a while we'll see uh, Victor Cruz. Um, you know, I would sleeper, say <laughs> I would say one of them. One of them that's not in the draft that has a lot of upside to him is Adrian Cox in the Stony Brook. He's a pretty good blocker. He's got great straight line speed. He's got pretty good hands. He's a possession guy. Six one two zero nine ran four four five and four four eight at his pro day. He would be one that I would say um, Maryland has a lot. Of, yeah, yeah. So you know, he was a big. I was kind of cheating a little bit, but yeah, he's got you know elite talent. So he would be one that I would say you know keep an eye on because he could he could be an impact guy play special teams for you, too. Um, so, you know, and I pick him because I don't have him projected to get drafted, although he could. So, But um, he, he would be one for sure. All right. Uh, before we let you go, Josh, I want to give you one more chance to let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter, where they can read your uh, extensive in-depth draft guide. Yeah, no, uh, we posted it on uh, Tony Softly, www.tonysoftly.com. Tony and I happen to work together with the NFL PA game. Um, so you can find it there. And then my Twitter handle is at Josh NFL Draft. And, and I will say this, uh, this is my challenge real quick to you guys. This coming year, be real men, go to the NFL PA game. I will bet anyone, once you go, it's the best all-star event that you can go to. You won't find a better location. So I do expect to see you too in LA next year. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that. So, um, I, and, uh, and if you don't agree that it's the best location, best facilities, best event of any game, I'll, I'll buy your drinks at the Combine, Senior Bowl, wherever I see you next. All right. So, all right. I'll keep that in mind. If, I, I wouldn't mind going to L.A. If, Shane, you, uh, if you want to pay our way, I mean, you, we could be guests of uh, of Josh. Of I, Josh. I, 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 I tell you what, I'll make this deal with you. If you go on your own dime this year and you don't agree with what I said, and, 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 and I can tell that you're not lying, and you, it's legit, you're like, no, you're full of it. This wasn't as good as you said. I'll pay your way next time just to get you to go. Because I feel that strongly because I think you will you will you will agree with me. But if you don't, I'll, I'll pay just to get you to come out there. But, yeah, you, you guys need to come out there, man. I, I keep telling you about it, and, and 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 even this year, I, you know, I talked to I talked to a few players, and 
you know, I said, well, you know, I'm sure you thought I was giving you the company line, didn't you? And they said, yeah, a little bit. And I said, was that? And they said, no. They said, if anything, you under, you under talked it. They said, you, you didn't talk about how, you know, how, you know, how it was like a resort out here and everything. So, no, nah, you know, I, it holds up, man. I, you guys come out there for year one, and, and if you don't agree, I, I'll, I'll get you the next year. Sounds like a road trip, Shane. You're in Pennsylvania. You want to pick me up on your way in Minnesota on our way to the <laughs> left coast? Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. That's fun. We've got time. Well, if you guys Josh. want to, if you guys, if you guys want to, when if you'll drive down to, to me, we'll I'll sneak you in in a bag and I'll check the bag and we can just put you in the uh, in the cargo and, and fly you with me that way. If you can keep your well, mouth shut for five hours. There you go. We'll pack Shane with the helmets and the pads. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. Thanks so much, Josh. Awesome as always, and I just can't emphasize enough, nobody covers the small schools better than Josh. Uh, and, and check him out, follow him, read his stuff if you don't already. Josh, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. And Shane, before we go, you have something to pub. It's something you've been doing every year. I know I always enjoy it, so take away. I hope some of our listeners will tune in. This will be my sixth year that I'm doing my live NFL draft stream over at drafttv.com. And, um, you know, for me, I do all three days uh, live on Draft TV. You go to the main site, then you can watch watch me. I'm on video analyzing each pick as it happens because uh, – to be honest, I think there should be some some alternatives to, to the TV out there. So you can turn it on your TV, you can mute it, you can listen to me. We have a, an, an updated chat room this year, so you can ask questions. I'll answer your questions. Uh, it's going to be a blast. It's always a blast, especially on that third day when, when the guys in the ESPN NFL Network aren't are still talking about the first-round picks. Uh, I'll be breaking down the third third day guys as they're drafted, how they fit with your team, fantasy football, and, and all that combined. So I, I hope hope to get some some people out there and if you listen to the show and have liked what we've done then definitely come over to draft tv during the draft and, and watch the live draft stream and uh, uh and scott always uh, texts and makes fun of my commentary and then i'll, I'll share that as, as always <laughs> no i i've been i've been enjoying it for years too i think it's great it's such a novel idea you actually talk about the pick shane i, I don't know where you came up <laughs> with that but uh, that kind hey. of is the draft next dream. Um, and, and like you said, you got the chat room going so you can chat with other diehard draft Knicks. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend it. And, and you can have it on the background. Listen, listen to Shane during the commercials if you want. Uh, it, it's a great alternative to, to the mainstream coverage where, like you say, they, they focus on talking about Johnny Manziel ad nauseum for all three days. Shane talks about every single pick and I, I think that's what the real draft Knicks want the, the casual fans they might be all right with, with just talking hearing the same features on the same players over and over again but if you want to hear about that sixth round pick your team just just uh just made Shane's live stream is the way to go so uh Shane tell them one more time when it when it's going to be and where they can listen it will be on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It'll line up with the draft, and usually I start it about an hour to a half hour before the, the draft actually gets um, gets started. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the exact time. So Thursday it will be it'll be 7 p.m. Eastern time. It'll start Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. It'll start on Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. It'll begin. I'll run through uh, the whole round, and usually the first round I'll stick around for a little while and talk to you and. And some of the French benefits is, uh, especially for Saturday when I'm doing eight nine hours, you get to uh, get to watch me eat and and uh, share share that and see my dog and all the all the fun things that come with uh, just 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 me trying to live through the draft here. Well, and we're still trying to finalize our plans for draft day. We're going to do podcasts. We're going to do review podcasts and stuff. But uh, we're, I think we're going to do some kind of preview uh, on Thursday. Uh, we're still kind of sorting it out. We're talking about maybe doing prop bets uh, and, and taking a look at those. We're talking about maybe doing a movie commentary for the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner, which Shane has not even seen yet, which blows my mind. figure we could maybe both cue that up and watch it and uh, provide commentary in real time. Uh, uh, let us know if you're interested in either of those things, um, either on Twitter, Shane's at Shane P. Hallam. I'm at Draft Countdown on Twitter. Let us know if you like either of those ideas. Maybe you have another idea. We'll, we'll crowdsource it, maybe uh, come up with something. Uh, but, but we're definitely going to be doing some kind of show on draft day, so, so keep an ear out for that. And with that, we're going to call this a show. And right now, there are only one day, 22 hours, 54 minutes, and 5 seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock. <laughs>